I felt it was important to say, hang on, I'm, I mean, I was born in Darlington in the northeast of England. I, I grew up, I started school in Dundee in Scotland. I've lived in Swansea in Wales. I'm more British than most British people. <laughs> um, suggest that I don't have a place here. And black people voted 73% to stay in the EU. This is something we fundamentally oppose en masse. And the idea of being pushed out is just wrong. Welcome to the Power Hour, the weekly podcast that will motivate you to pursue your passion and to achieve success. I'm Adrienne Herbert, international speaker, fitness coach, Adidas global ambassador and entrepreneur. Each week, I'll be talking to today's leading coaches, creatives, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, morning routines, and rules to live by. The Power Hour is all about taking just one hour each day to help you improve your life and unlock your full potential. Whether you want to build a business, write a book, run a marathon, or maybe you're just looking for a spark of inspiration, the Power Hour is going to help you get there faster. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today's guest is a British political activist. He is the co-founder of the pro-European Union advocacy group, Our Future, Our Choice. He shares his pro-EU message in an engaging and an incredibly passionate way on YouTube and Twitter. He has appeared on Sky News and Good Morning Britain. He has written for The Independent, The Guardian, The Metro, and he is a regular guest on Talk Radio. Welcome to the studio, Femi Oluwole. Hi, Adrian. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? <laughs> not so bad, not so bad. Yeah? yeah? Thank you so much for coming into the Pleasure. studio today. I know that you are so busy, and I really, really appreciate you giving us your time being here for part of our Power Hour Black History Month series. Pleasure to be here. So I've watched so many of your videos and what I find, what I notice firstly is how you articulate so brilliantly, you're so able to break down the complexity of political conversations so that everyone can better understand what is going on. I mean, there's so much going on right now, like where do we even start? But before we dive into my long list of questions, I would love to find out why you are so dedicated to the work that you do and when did you first become interested in politics? Uh, I'm dedicated to this basically because I realised that there was nobody at the wheel. I mean, I studied law, specialising in EU law, worked in EU affairs in Brussels for a couple of years, and I watched David Cameron utterly wet the bed in terms of explaining what the hell was happening around Brexit. I mean, we're talking like the utter basics of this situation. Just to put yourself in your situation, in my, in my situation. You studied EU law. You know what the single market is. You know it's the primary thing that means that we'll be economically better off in the EU. And you know that it basically means, imagine if the EU didn't exist, you had 28 countries making their own regulations for everything, which means if you wanted to sell, let's say, beer to those 28 countries, you'd have to manufacture, market, and package your product in 28 different ways. So instead, because uh, that would massively increase costs, EU countries make rules together, meaning you only need to make one version of your product and it's legal across the board. That means that supermarket prices go down and standards of living go higher. David Cameron had five months to explain that and most people still don't know what that is. So if you're in a situation where you know what that, what that is, you know that people aren't aware of that, you have to get involved. It's like a moral imperative. And I wasn't particularly into UK politics up until essentially that pulled me off the bench because I just saw, hang on, this thing is going off the rails 
I have to put my hand on the steering wheel now. And where, and so how old were you at the time? Where were you at the time? Were you studying? Had you graduated? So yeah, I graduated in 2013. Uh, at the time, in 2016, I'd been doing a couple of internships in Brussels. Uh, I was in the UK at the time of the referendum. I'd, I had like 20 followers on Twitter, um, but I was trying to do my best, trying to pump out as much, many videos as I could. I even got on, onto the streets in Birmingham. Uh, uh, I got a, a t-shirt from Primark, wrote EU questions, just ask, and stood in the center of Birmingham city center, just basically waiting for people to come talk to me. And uh, I could tell from the streets that it was going to not go the way we'd hoped it would go. Um, because some of the questions that I was getting were very, very Brexity. I'd heard some of the propaganda that was around at the time, stuff about if we don't leave the EU, Sharia law will take over. Um, that um, stuff. Well, one person asked me if we if we if we leave the EU, will we still be able to play in the Euros? Um, so the the important questions, mm, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. Okay. And so. I'd like to take it back even further, actually, because mm. I know that both of your parents are medical professionals. Mm. So, you know, were you encouraged to pursue a career in medicine or did you ever feel any pressure to achieve a certain level of academic success? Oh, yeah. My parents um, very strict in terms of just basically pushing me in terms of academics. Uh, being a doctor, um, I kind of thought I might want to be a doctor, but at the same time, I love arguing so much that lawyers seemed like the way to go. And so I ended up applying for, applying for law. Um, and then when I did law, I kind of just, within like September of first, first year, I realized I don't want to be a lawyer, which is a great time to realize that you don't want to be a lawyer. Um, but I felt that... If you're a lawyer, you have to play within the rules of the game. You have to represent your client, which means that half the time you won't even be sure you're on the right side. I felt that if I wanted to really make a difference, I needed to change the rules of the game rather than just play by its rules, and that meant politics. Okay, so it was kind of like a moral like discourse there? Yeah, I mean, I realized that not all the laws that we have in this country are really properly founded in morality. Some of them are directly against morality, like the, the definition of crime, of um, theft at the time essentially means that you're more likely to get off if you genuinely believe that your actions were okay, which means that the worst kind of people are more likely to think their actions are okay. Mm. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's that sort of thing. It's so interesting, but I'm always, you know, I take, I always take it back because I'm always fascinated, really, by I guess why people, you know, do what they do and how they get there. Because mm. often when we, you know, we find somebody online like yourself, it's like people kind of, I guess, they don't know the journey or like why you do what you do. Mm. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing. And you know, you talk online about politics, especially in this current climate. It's always going to be, you know a really interesting conversation, no doubt that will cause division and some heat. So how did you, I guess, find the confidence to use your voice online? You mentioned you, you only had 20 Twitter followers. I know that you have a lot more people following and listening <laughs> to you now. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it does come back to where I've come from. Uh, I'm, I mean, I, I lived in 14 houses by the time I was 14. I'd lived in England, Scotland, and Wales. So I was, I'd been to six schools. I was constantly the outsider. So I was constantly analyzing myself, analyzing the people around me, understanding why people are, are saying things they are, they're saying. And so uh, the ability to see different points of view has always been something that I've been good at. The ability to um, make a point and understand where people are coming from is always something I'm good at. And just the knowledge of just how bad the conversation was in 2016. I mean, like I said, 
uh, Nigel Farage was telling people that the EU was forcing completely uncontrolled immigration. And almost the, the more it got proven to me that they didn't know what they were doing, the more I realized I had to do something. So, for example, um, when I got Nigel Farage to admit after, like a year after the referendum result, that EU's, EU members can control immigration and that there are rules in place, which goes against everything he said in 2016, when October last year, I got the BBC to change the definition of the single market because it was wrong and it had been wrong for five months. And I only spotted it when Laura Koonsberg tweeted out um, a, 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 a jargon buster. Uh, you realize that, hang on, if the people who you would trust to, to know the stuff aren't giving you the proper information, it means that they need to be replaced. Mm. Well, yeah. And also, I think it's just terrifying because people think, well, if we can't trust and listen and be guided and find out, you know, the truth, then essentially, you know, it's, you know, you took the obviously the initiative to think, right, well, I need to get involved in this conversation mm. because you had that knowledge. But for some people, perhaps they just feel, I guess, helpless and also thinking, why is there no one there holding those people accountable and saying, yeah. actually, this is incorrect, you know? Yeah, well, unfortunately, that is increasingly falling to people like me, people who aren't necessarily like died in the wool politicians, people who have just spotted this conversation going off the rails and who've basically come up out of nowhere to say, hang on, no, that's wrong. Like, I mean, again, another example would be the uh, Theresa Villiers, who was Secretary of State for Northern Ireland during the referendum, who said during the referendum campaign, the border arrangements in Northern Ireland have been broadly consistent for the last hundred years. Now, if you're saying that nothing's changed in the border, in a hundred years in Northern Ireland, you're basically saying, Good Friday Agreement never happened. She was the highest authority on Northern Ireland during that referendum in, North, in, in Great Britain, mm -hmm. and she told people a complete mistruth. So again, you realize you have to get involved because these people do not know what they're talking about. Mm, so you got involved, you decided mm. to use your voice, to mm. use it online. I mean, I'm sure you must have, you know, daily kind of, you know, confrontations. I know that you had, uh, I saw that you were on uh, with Piers Morgan, mm -hmm. you know, having things back and forwards with him. But I guess, yeah, how do you just, yeah, have the confidence to keep going, to keep speaking out? You know, do you ever feel, I don't know, like any kind of worry or anxiety around doing that and kind of being that voice and being such a, you know, you're very uh what's the word like visible. public very visible yeah well i mean uh, let's just yeah the rundown is uh, i get abuse every minute i get racial abuse every two days threats of violence every month threats of death every three months in february last year somebody posted my home address online fortunately i just moved out of that address so my mother is no longer there um but uh, yeah, it's a hairy time. I've been to a Brexit party event where somebody chucked a drink on me, another poked me in the face with a flagpole. I've been shoved by Brexit party activists. Um, I'm very aware that in a post-Joe Cox world, when you add to all the factors that made Joe Cox a target, the fact that I'm black on top of that and she was killed by a white supremacist, that it is not a fun place to be in right currently where I am. But when you look at the stakes of this, You've got the the Royal College of Nurses, the Royal College of Midwives, the Royal College of GPs, the Royal College of Radiologists, the British Medical Association, which represents over 130,000 doctors across the UK, all saying that any version of Brexit is bad for the NHS. And the BMA specifically, the doctors one, saying that a no-deal Brexit is a catastrophe for the NHS. That's because um, of how much we rely on EU doctors. That's because of how much we rely on the supply chains for medicines. 
you know that there are thousands of lives on the line over the next 50 years if this goes wrong. Mm. And so uh, to a very large extent, it does not matter um, what we have to go through in order to prevent that. I, it is a, just a simple absolute, you cannot allow this to happen. This doesn't even have democratic legitimacy because in 2016, Brexit was sold on the basis of, don't worry, we'll get a great deal. Mm. And so this is the exact opposite of what people said they were voting for mm. that we're looking at. Wow. I mean, it's incredibly, incredibly admirable. And, you know, hearing what you're saying then about, you know, the doctors and the, and the NHS, it's just so apparent to me that, you know, these people and the, or should I say the people that will suffer the most mm. and the people who, you know, as you said, we they, had, they went out to vote. They made a decision. They didn't know. No one had any information at the time on really what the vote meant. And it kind of seemed such a rush. I mean, I'm not, you know, anywhere near as involved in politics as some people, but I just felt like it was such a quick, oh, oh here's this thing. Suddenly it was done. And as you said, you know, the people that will suffer, people who need, you know, medications that are going to be incredibly mm. expensive, people who are in a different, you know, a lower social economic they are going to suffer the most and yet they had no information and completely powerless to these decisions let me be clear i studied eu law at two universities in two different languages i worked in eu affairs in the institutions eu institutions in brussels for two years i worked in an eu institution in 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 vienna i had not the first clue what brexit would do to the irish border so the claim that Remainers were educated and fully informed is simply wrong. And that's the mistake we make. We make the mistake of saying, well, all the Leavers must be uneducated. No, no, no. Most people did not know what they were voting for at all, one way or the other. Or they didn't vote. Or they, or they didn't vote. And unfortunately, we, the way we've discussed this issue, it's as if or if questioning the Brexit in, in general is like saying, oh, you're stupid, etc. Et no, in 2016, the Brexit people said they were voting for was one that would not damage our trade with the EU. So if you're somebody who works in a factory in Sunderland that sends 70% of its cars to mainland Europe, you voted for a Brexit that would protect that supply chain, that would protect your ability to sell to, sell, sell to the rest of Europe. You did not vote for a Brexit that would mean a tariff on every one of those 70% of, of cars, which would mean that that factory would have to move across the border. You did not vote for that at all. So so unfortunately, those people will be the ones that get hurt the most if this goes wrong. And Boris Johnson, the way he's taking it, it will go very, very wrong for those people. Yikes. Okay, so for anyone listening who might not even know, you know, they might not know much about politics. And I think especially for young people, it can just seem so overwhelming. You know, these are complex issues and often the problems seem so big that many people just feel powerless. I heard this brilliant description um, in regards to problems that said, if a problem is too far away, then we don't care because we feel like it won't directly impact us. We feel like we can't really do anything about it. And it just seems so far away. You know, it's talking about even things like climate climate change. People don't care if it's not impacting them right now. And then apparently if the problem is too close and it's imminent, then typically it means that it's actually too late because it's here and it's happened. But there is a window of opportunity in the middle somewhere. And that's when people care enough about a problem to implement change. So my question for you, Femi, is what needs to happen to get young people engaged and how can they feel empowered to make an impact? Well, fortunately, we are in that Goldilocks zone um, because it's not too late. It's not too late, and it's not too early because um, yes, there was there was an element of people feeling that well, Brexit's already already gone through. Like there's nothing we can do to stop it, and at the same time, people also think that well, Brexit is it's all this politics, airy fairy, customs union, single market. It's all technical stuff that doesn't really concern us. When I go to schools and I speak to 16, 17 year olds. Um, there will be classes that I walk into where I ask, who here cares about politics and not a single hand will go up? My next question is, 
Who here cares how much stuff costs in the shops? Every hand goes up. My next question, who here cares when they can get a job when they leave school? Every hand goes up. I say that's politics. Mm. Because, I mean, for example, with the Brexit thing, there was an immediate crash in the pound, which means that the value of the pound in your pocket is worth less, Mm. which means supermarket prices are higher. That's politics. The fact that jobs are leaving this country because of Brexit, again, that is politics. This is having a direct effect on your life. And the reason why we're in this Goldilocks period is because it's not... uh, Right now, we are looking at a new democratic event that's going to be either well, either and or, a general election or referendum or both. Now, in a general election, this is going to be huge because Boris Johnson and Nigel Farage are both going to be aiming to get control of this country and they are are on a very good footing. And if Boris Johnson ends up just five seats short of a majority, I promise you Nigel Farage will be a cabinet minister the next day. Now, if you do not believe that Nigel Farage should represent this country, you need to make sure that everyone you know is registered to vote and votes, because it terrifies me to think what those, what Boris Johnson and Nigel Farage would do to this country, because uh, let's just look at Boris Johnson. In 2013, he said, um, I'd vote to stay in the single market. I'm in favor of the single market. I, I think we should have the trade free with our European friends and partners. Yes. That is somebody who knows that staying in the EU is a net benefit for our economy and makes us better off. So to now push for Brexit means he's doing something that he knows hurts the country, but he saw it as a way to get into number 10. He saw he saw an avenue to power. Nigel Farage, he told us that we'd get a, a great trade deal better than Norway. He's now leading a party that's calling for a no-deal Brexit. These are people without morals. These are people who are trying to do stuff that they, makes them popular, but they know hurts the country. Mm, so they'll switch the story. They'll switch yeah. the game. They'll switch sides yeah. with their own agenda. And it's that whole, like... I don't know, it's almost com- com- not comedy because it's actually not funny, mm. but it is, like you said, it's the power. You see the like, oh, it's like, you know, it takes people over and then yeah. it's like, I'll literally turn into a monster and not be able to see the things I actually... Morality's gone out the window for these people. Mm. Oh my gosh, okay. I mean, it also, if you think back a while, you know, those both of those people, Nigel Farage and Boris Johnson, I feel like it was almost like... Yeah, not even a consideration that they would lead our country, just like when it was Donald Trump and everyone went, oh, yeah, as mm-hmm. if. Yeah. And I remember, actually, it was my son's fifth birthday, so it must have been three years ago, and we were having like a, a birthday party in the forest, and my sister was there, and I remember people were talking a little bit about politics and about Donald Trump, and I think it was right maybe the day before or two days before and they were like oh for, you know as if like you know could you imagine could you actually imagine you know Donald mm-hmm. Trump being the president and and then my sister was like that's a reality she was like that could happen mm. and I feel like no one else at the party there's like 50 people kind of looked at her as if like okay mm. whatever you know bearing in mind she's the person who's you know clued up on politics and the very next day when you know you woke up to that Twitter feed and everyone just went <gasps> yeah and I was almost like, she called it, man. Yeah. Well, no, that that, that happened with Brexit. Well, nobody expected Brexit. Um, uh, but if you pay attention to those areas outside of your bubble, you realise that this sort of thing does happen and can happen and almost cert- and, 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 and will happen if we don't actually do something about it because people had a right to be angry, both in the UK and in the US. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the story I often tell is 
imagine if you're 50 years old you've watched um when you were 10 and, and you and you lived in and you live in Sunderland for example some area of the country that gets very little attention from the media and from politics and when you were 10 your dad lost his job because Margaret Thatcher he she closed the shipyards the mines and you've seen London get more and more investment every year. Millennium Dome, London Eye, underground tube system, stuff that's never seen. Olympics. Any, yeah, exactly. So, and you vote Labour your entire life because you hate the Tories for what Thatcher did. But Labour has no incentive to do anything for you because, well, they're always going to win your area. And the Tories, no incentive either because they're never going to win. So politics as a whole has no reason to work for you. So... Here comes long Brexit or Trump and people are saying, oh, wait, hang on. This might actually make a massive difference. You may have voted whichever way in the past, but nothing ever changed. But this could really make a difference. And in the UK, imagine if the person telling you to vote to keep things the same is David Cameron. Under those circumstances, take away my e-law degree. I'm voting Brexit every time. Mm. Um, and you, And so you've got to understand that there are reasons why people vote this way. But it will hurt us all. Yeah, they wanted change, but yeah. change is like, you know, you can go from the frying pan to the fire. Exactly. Yikes. Okay, so why do you think that it is particularly important for black people to be involved in this conversation and for black people to use their voice in politics and for us to see more faces like yours, Femi? Because we need to remind people that this... I genuinely question whether or not I should get involved in this in this debate because... I know that there was a lot of racism around the Brexit campaign. And one of the mistakes that we often make is that we um, attribute that racism to everyone who voted for Brexit, and it creates a very harsh environment where Remainers call all Leavers racist, etc. And it's fundamentally wrong. I just described the idea of voting Brexit because your area gets nothing, and you wanted to remind politicians, hey, our part of the country still exists. Mm -hmm. Now, somebody who votes that for that reason... Not racist at all. Mm. And so if you call them racist, you're just insulting them. Mm. And wrongly so. But at the same time, the narrative used by the key Brexiteers, Nigel Farage especially, uh, if you look at what Nigel Farage did, he had a poster that showed hundreds of thousands of Syrian refugees. It was called the Breaking Point poster. And it showed we need to, do, we need to break free of the EU so we can control our borders. Now, the reason why that poster is racist, he'll often say it's not racist because it's just a photograph. The reason why it's racist is because the UK isn't part of the EU's common asylum policy, which means that we don't have any quotas around refugees, which means that not one of the people in that photograph had any right to enter the UK under EU law, which mm. means they had nothing to do with Brexit. Doesn't make a damn of difference. And we know that they have nothing to do with Brexit because we can see them stuck in Calais. Yeah. <laughs> And so to use people of Middle Eastern background mm -hmm. who have nothing to do with Brexit to scare people about European migration mm. means you must think that visually there must be something about them mm -hmm. that you think will be more scary to the people you're trying to f scare. And that narrative, I mean, it's, it's even worse than that. Um, Andy Wigmore, the comms director of Leave.eu, the organization fronted by Nigel Farage at the time, it, he was he's on record. In fact, you can find this on the Parliament website. He was talking about his campaign, and they moved on to, for some reason, the Nazis. And he said, um, the, the way they presented things is very clever. The way, the, the way they, the way they, the way they moved things around, the way they presented, um, uh, the way they presented people. Um, and when I look at my campaign, uh, you realize that this, this, this is nothing new. You what? <laughs> <laughs> 
nothing new. His campaign, the campaign he ran under Nigel Farage and Richard Tice of the Brexit Party was nothing new in relation to the, the Nazis. There was an inherent racism there. So black. So the reason why black people need to get involved is this is still our country. Mm. I mean, I, I felt like I shouldn't get involved because um, maybe this country doesn't isn't, isn't mine anymore. Maybe I'm no longer welcome. Maybe if that kind of narrative can win mm. and convince people to vote for Brexit, maybe I'm no longer welcome here. But I felt it was important to say, hang on, I'm... I mean, I was born in Darlington in the northeast of England. I, I grew up, I started school in Dundee in Scotland. I've lived in Swansea in Wales. I'm more British than most British people. <laughs> um, suggests that I don't have a place here. And black people voted 73% to stay in the EU. Mm. This is something we fundamentally oppose en masse. And the idea of being pushed out is just wrong. And if, if Nigel Farage gets his way and we get a no deal Brexit, Let's just be really clear that does not work well for ethnic minorities mm. because just put it this way a third of Welsh lamb goes to the EU over half of the cars you make go to the EU uh, over ha- half of the fish we catch goes to the EU we get a third of our food from the EU a no deal brexit under international law means there have to be tariffs on every single one of those goods that crosses the border that means that those industries will suffer severely and i mentioned to you before um, the uh, effect on the NHS. Now, if that damage it ha- happens, it won't be blamed on the people that voted for Brexit. They will be looking for people to blame. It will be liberal metropolitan types, it will be the m- Remainers in general, and of course, it will be minorities who will suffer the most. They'll mm. say, we're in a, this time of economic and economic difficulty. The reason why we're in this economic difficulty is because we didn't get rid of you soon enough. That will be the narrative that's used. So yes. if if you are black and listening to this, this is entirely something you need to be involved. I'm begging you, please engage in this debate. Please make sure you register to vote. Please make sure you vote. Otherwise, Nigel Farage will be running this country. Gosh, and you know, even hearing you speak so much about, you know, I guess the economics of it. And, you mm. know, you, we all feel it. You know, if you travel and you go to anywhere where, you know, in Europe and using euros or if you go to the States now and you think about how much co- things cost. Mm. Even I was there last week, I was in New York and, you know, you're buying things that, you know, with the dollar, as you said, how, how you know, mm. it's so expensive now and the pound is so weak. And I can only imagine, you know, as you said, if people... I think they think that politics and economics sometimes is separate and actually when they're thinking about who to vote for or what you know what party or this mm. or that or even on something as big as Brexit mm. it is still maybe talked about as this political conversation mm. and there's no real winner you know it's a lose lose whatever mm. I'm not going to get out there and as you said I think if people had had it explained to them and broken down in a way that showed you this is how it will impact you this is how it will impact your parents or your income or mortgages or pensions or anything that directly impacts as we said about this scale of how far and how close it definitely would have encouraged people to get out to to vote and maybe yeah maybe we would have had a different outcome so i mean it does seem very dark very doom and gloom and i am an eternal optimist Mm -hmm. so is it lose lose i mean the systems the gap between the decision makers and the ordinary people affected as we've talked about today you know Femi can you give us some good news like is there any please there is some good news in the fact that uh, I've got a couple of them Um, Brexit voters are not what you see on Twitter and on Question Time that's been my privilege to discover over the past few years that they are not the caricatures that you see presented in the media that are there for primarily entertainment purposes 
um, and they are decent, reasonable people. And if you have a discussion with with people who voted Leave in the high streets around the country, you will find that you have so much more in common than you've been made to believe. Um, and as for the fact of what unites us, there is one thing and one thing alone uniting the country right now, and that is that we are all bored to tears of Brexit, that we want to move on, that we're tired of seeing it dominating every second of every day of every news cycle. And there is only one way if you are bored of Brexit for Brexit to be done with. That is for Brexit to stop via a referendum. If you look at what's happened over the past three years, you've had governments spending all of their time on Brexit. They've devoted 7,000 civil servants. They budgeted for 9,000 more with 300 extra to deal with border issues. Those could have been doctors, nurses, teachers, house builders, police. Instead, Brexit civil servants. Now, that only continues if Brexit actually happens whilst we're trying to negotiate with the EU for the long-term trade deal, whilst we're trying to negotiate with Donald Trump. And also the fact that he said, Donald Trump has said explicitly that he plans to make our NHS pay more for drugs so that American companies pay less. So that will be a fun thing to look forward to. But the fact is, this doesn't end if Brexit ends. The only way you can get past Brexit is by having that referendum. And given that even Nigel Farage about a week ago said in a referendum between Boris Johnson's deal and Remain, he said Remain wins every time, which is the thing that you should be really, really, really clear on. There is no majority for any version of Brexit. Now, that means that if you've got Nigel Farage, the leader of the literal Brexit party, saying that he does not accept um, Boris Johnson's Brexit deal, then do the maths. 52% minus the supporters of the actual Brexit party is not going to be a majority. Leave could always mean a thousand different things, mm. ranging from no deal to Theresa May's deal to Boris Johnson's deal to a Noisdale deal, a thousand different possible other relationships other than membership. And there's no majority for any of them, which means if you put a deal to the people, a specific version of Brexit, rather than the thousands that were put on the Leave side in 2016, we will vote to stay in the EU, but you need to get out and vote. So there is a way that we can put this mess to bed. Mm. And if we do put this mess to bed, that means that we will actually have the time and the political capital and the political will to address the main issues facing our country. So that is the NHS, climate change, first past the post, regional inequality. We will actually have the time to make lives better, but that requires a referendum. And how is that going to happen? What is the likelihood? How can people, yeah, you know, how can we get this referendum? What do we have to do? We get that referendum by ensuring that everybody, everybody that we know turns out to vote and gets registered to vote in the, Euro, in, the in the general election. Because as I said before, if if, if Boris Johnson is five seats short of a, of, a, of a majority, Nigel Farage is a cabinet minister the next day. So your job is to make sure you vote tactically in your constituency for the party that is most likely to beat the Brexit party and the Conservatives. Because if we do get a majority of seats belonging to parties that are in favour of a referendum, like the Greens, like the Lib Dems, like Labour, like the SNP, like Plaid Cymru, like the Alliance in Northern Ireland, then we can stop Brexit entirely and move on as a country. Amazing. Okay, this is great for me. I could listen to you all day. I feel like we are all having an education. This is great. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So I am going to ask you a little bit about the Power Hour because mm-hmm. that is the show. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you have so much going on right now. And, you know, I'm sorry to hear, uh, you know, some of the things that you have to face as a result of being here and doing what you do. So I guess what I'd love to know is, for me, you know, I'm always inspired and encouraged to find out, you know, why is this person doing what they do? How have they got to be in that place at that time? And yeah, what gets them out of bed? What gets them pumped to keep going the next day? Because I'm sure it's not all fun and games. Mm, So could you tell us what time do you get up in the morning? And what's the first hour of your day like? Uh, Me getting up in the morning is there's no set time. Okay. Like, uh, because I'm constantly driving around the country. I mean, this weekend, I left the house, I think at uh, 10 past midnight on Saturday morning and started driving down from Birmingham to Cornwall, sleeping two hours at a time in service stations in order to get there and then interview four MPs in various constituencies. Uh, So there's no, I don't have a sleeping pattern or anything like that. In the mornings, I tend to just be Twitter straight away. What the hell has happened in the news? Um, Has, because anything can happen. and yeah, it's primarily just Twitter checking things, and then usually it'll involve um, jumping downstairs, jumping on my bike, biking to the train station, heading to London, or heading heading up north, or driving in my car to some other part of the country. Um, the main hour that really centers me is the two hours before I go to bed. Okay. Now, despite um, usually getting home very, very tired and very, very late. Um, because, I mean, to get home from London, you're talking, I'm getting to my house at 11 o'clock. I have, I make myself a rule that I do not go to bed straight away because I would, I would lose my mind. Mm-hmm. And so that means an hour either watch, an hour watching a TV show and an hour playing FIFA and then I can go to sleep. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's really important because, you know, for anyone who works in a, in a job that is demanding mentally, emotionally, you know, you have to have some kind of safeguarding for yourself mm-hmm. you have to have some way of yeah switching off release downtime whatever people call it yeah. because it's so intense and it must be so consuming you know i feel like personally even listening to this conversation and thinking about it on a you know doing that all day mm. every day yeah. yeah it's a lot it's constant and i was living in london last year uh, for about eight months because this is where all the media is um but by october i was mentally in the toilet um, I had to move back to Birmingham uh, in at the end of November as a matter of just met sure mental emergency. Um, fortunately, now I live with one of my best mates in London, in Birmingham, uh, so I'm doing a lot better. But Great. you have to keep an eye on your mental health um, mm-hmm. and just adapt your life in order to keep it on track. Yeah, that's incredibly important. Thank you for sharing that. And do you do you have any, uh, I guess, like a support network team? You know, do you think that's important for people as well? Uh, it's it's necessary. Uh, my best friend uh, who lives who I live with now, yeah, I I could not do this without him. There have been t- several times where uh, an event has happened and it's not me for six, and I've required him to basically just walk me through it, bounce some ideas off, um, and. I just wouldn't be able to function if I wasn't had if I didn't have people around me. So you've got to make sure that you are stable so that you can keep being useful. Because I wouldn't be useful if I wasn't making sure I was continuing to be able to be useful. Mm. So that's that's necessary. Awesome. Good for you. Okay. So 
lastly, before I ask you my final question for the show, mm. which is a big one, which I asked everybody. Mm. Um, first, I have two things. One, I would love it if you could give the listeners um, a challenge, something this week that they could try or maybe that they need to do. Mm. I think I know what you're going <laughs> to say, but I'll leave it to you. Um, so, unless you want Nigel Farage in, in a cabinet position running the country, I suggest that you go out and speak to five friends and get each and every one of them, oh no, find five friends who have not yet registered to vote and get them to register to vote. That is gov.gov.uk forward slash register hyphen to hyphen vote. Make sure that you get five friends who aren't registered now to register to vote and get them to do the same. Because if young people turn out en masse to vote in that general election, Boris Johnson and Nigel Farage will be finished and you will have protected your future from everything they've got planned. So please So do this that. is the 12th of December? It's likely to be there's a general election on the 12th of December, possibly the 9th. Okay, so we do have time, people. 12th, potentially 9th of December. So as you said, first of all, if you haven't done it yourself, mm. get involved, get online, do it. I'm going to get the link. I'm going to put it on my Instagram bio. Swipe up. It's super easy. And as you said, share it. Get five friends to do it yeah. this week. Yes. We have to do it now. Because if you, if you have to register significantly before the referendum before the general election itself in order for your registration to count so you need to do it as soon as possible right take action people hear it okay next one is where can people find you online hmm. you can find me online on Facebook Twitter and Instagram at Femi underscore sorry uh, our group the movement of young people campaigning to get a referendum on the Brexit deal that's our future our choice and it's OFOC O-F-O-C Brexit OFOC Brexit on Facebook Twitter and Instagram great we're also going to leave that in the show notes as well and then my closing question for you Femi is all about time as it is the power hour I truly am so grateful that you've given us an hour of your time today I think it's super useful and valuable regardless of how interested you've been in politics before if you are listening to this show you listen every week and you think oh you know what maybe I'll do it maybe I'll do it tomorrow then please do and Femi thank you so much for giving us your time so, my question that I ask everybody is, what is the most valuable thing that time has taught you? It's that you don't have to immediately save the world. It's that, I mean, I'm going to steal a quote from uh, Angel, the spin-off of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, where I get most of my life lessons. Um, if nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. That means that you don't have to... Um, every action you make doesn't have to be hasn't doesn't have to destroy this massive threat to the world. You have to just do it because it's the right thing to do. Um, it's I mean one of the, the longer version of that of that quote is nothing in the world is the way it ought to be. It's harsh and cruel, but that's why there's us. Doesn't matter where we come from, what we've done or suffered, or even, or even if we make a difference, live as though the world were as it should be to show it what it can be. Do not let the all the crap that's in the world make you feel that there's nothing you can do keep fighting because you have to keep fighting otherwise no one will wow wisdom thank you so much Femi. you're awesome that was brilliant i really hope that you enjoyed this episode our final episode in this month's series for black history month um let us know if you have registered you can also rate and review this podcast on itunes i would really appreciate it every single um review every single one i really do appreciate it it helps us to grow the show to reach more ears and to book new amazing guests so please do that if you haven't already have an awesome week thanks for listening See ya. Hold up. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 